This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Well, greetings, Imagination Connoisseurs. Once again, it is I, your Duke of Dope Discourse, your Master of Fun and Wonder, your Viceroy of Verisimilitude, your Sommelier of Sci-Fi and Cinema, your Archbishop of Banterbury, your Evangelist of the Imagination, and, of course, your existential Mr. Rogers, still wondering what that actually means, Robert Meyer Burnett, and I am once again Robcasting at you! You imagination connoisseurs, you members of this, the post-geek singularity, this is Rob Observations episode number 673. My God. You know, I gotta tell you, I love fandom. I've been a part of fandom my entire life, literally. I mean, I started being dragged to, not dragged, demanding to go to various events, convention-like events, even when I was a very young lad, before I could ride the metro buses in Seattle. We had a very good metro bus system, and thanks to my friend Jeff Swafford, we used to take long, epic bus trips, even, yes, at 10 years old. 50 cents, you used to be able to get a pass. You could ride all day on the metro buses. And my friend Jeff, who loved public transportation, didn't matter, planes, trains, automobiles, he loved it all, would plan out every three months, he would get our Metro bus schedules and plan out these elaborate bus trips. And we'd leave like on Saturday at 7 a.m. and go all over the city. We'd go to the airport, we'd go to the Ballard Locks, we'd go to downtown Seattle. We were 10. Nobody cared, nobody bothered us, but it was a lot of fun. And, um, you know, I got to see a lot of stuff. But then once I knew the bus system, I was able to go to various fan events that happened around Seattle. We had the PSST, the Puget Sound Star Trekkers. Puget Sound is a big inlet that comes in. It really cuts, well, it cuts one third of Washington off. It's where Seattle is sitting on Puget Sound. It's pretty awesome, but that's why they were called the Puget Sound Star Trekkers. And they used to have a really cool logo. The PSST formed the actual Starship Enterprise, which I always loved. So I could go to those events. Then we had the One Real Vaudeville show that put on the sci fi exhibition. Every year at the Seattle Center. That's where I actually met uh, Harlan Ellison one year, believe it or not. I rode up to the top of the Space Needle with him. And uh, Gene Roddenberry came once and and, and showed, um, I believe he showed the cage. Didn't he show the cage? Showed the cage. So 
I was going to fan events from a very early age. So I've been a fan my whole life, like an active fan. Active fandom now is, who would have thought? We, we, we cover the planet Earth. We talk. I mean, I thought AOL, AOL Star Trek chat boards was the end-all, be-all back in the 90s. And the Hollywood Cafe, if you remember that on AOL, boy, that, that was a chat room, let me tell you. A lot of people who uh, were in that chat room went on to very, very large careers. And they even had large careers at the time. But it was, a, it was a, uh, certainly a wretched hive of scum and villainy. You had to have, you had to have some, some epic wit to uh, hold your own in that, in that chat board. But I've been, a, I've been a fan my whole life. And, you know, like today... It's all over social media. I think I got this from like 10 people. Look at this. Look what fans have done. This is what fans are doing now. They're buying billboards. Bring Tony Stark back to life. Hashtag bring Tony Stark back to life. For our beloved hero, please bring back Tony Stark for 24-21. Now, you look at this and you think to yourself, okay, that's pretty cool. But... um, Here's my problem with something like this. Why would anybody want to bring Tony Stark back? Like we had, we had 23 movies uh, of the Infinity Saga. It ran for more than a decade, and it was pretty great. And Tony Stark's sacrifice at the end really tied it all up in a nice, neat bow. And movie 22 of 23, the end of Endgame. I am Iron Man. He snapped his fingers. One of the great endings of a character, perhaps in cinematic history. I mean, wouldn't that? Be, I, I what a great place to leave that character. And one of the great things about the MCU is that it's growing and changing. It's deep now, deep, deep, deep into its second decade. We're we're thirteen years into the MCU, and at midnight tonight Pacific time, I will be there watching the conclusion, the sixth episode of Falcon and Winter Soldier. So we live in a great time to be fans. But sometimes I wonder. Like, man, I've, I have I mean, after 23 movies that have a collective average box office of a billion dollars, uh, they're still wanting... To, why would you want Tony Stark to come back? Like, in a way, I would think that would diminish. That would diminish the entire Infinity Saga as a whole. I mean, I know it's comic books. No one ever dies. We've got the multiverse. There's many different iterations of Tony Stark they could come get. But I, I like the fact that... He sacrificed himself in that way. I think it's very fitting that he he did that. I think as a fan, the fact that I was so invested in that character and the fact that his end that mattered to me. I I felt something when when all old Tony snapped his fingers. I really did. I mean, that was wasn't that the ultimate sacrifice? I guess. But loved it anyway. Another great fan triumph this year was, of course. The return, or the actually the return, the Snyder Cut, the debut of the Snyder Cut, I think was an epic win for fandom everywhere. Fans were listened to. Uh, look, I'm not going to get into a debate whether all Snyder Cut fans are uh, the most upstanding members of the community that are always there with a supportive word, because I think I think the um, the idea of toxic fandom, toxic people, the internet just brings out the worst in people. Every group has them. So ultimately, I think that the Restore the Snyder Cut movement worked. And they got an epic win. And we, as Imagination Connoisseurs, we got to see his version of 
the Snyder Cut. We got Zack Snyder's vision for Justice League. I mean, come on, man. We got a four-hour Justice League movie that made more sense than what they released than Joss, Justice League, which came out in 2017. So it was an epic win for fans everywhere. And I would say, I've said this many times before, we live in amazing times. And if you're a fan, if you're an imagination connoisseur, the stuff that we are getting is amazing. The fact that I was able to see Carnival Row finally realized. Um, Mr. Beecham's great script. He also wrote Pacific Rim. I loved that script. The script was originally called, it was written as a, a screenplay, A Killing on Carnival Row. I loved that script. I thought it was never going to get made. So many people wanted to make it. And then it got made as a series. And I do believe it's coming back for a second season. Now, it might not have been perfect, but I really, really enjoyed it. I finally have been delving into Counterpart uh, with J.K. Simmons. Why he never got an Emmy for that, I know. I, I don't know. Why Stars ended it, I read an article saying that it ended because it didn't fit their female demographic, the, the demographic they were going for, um, which is sort of strange. But what a great series this is. Uh, I think I'm four or five episodes into the first season. Uh, too bad there's only 15, I'm 25% I'm through it already. And I'm deeply saddened by this. But we are in, we're in a time of, whether you like, look, yeah, my hatred of modern Star Trek is is well known. It's not working for me. It's working for others. But the fact is we're getting, yes, creatively bankrupt people making new Star Trek. But if you like new Star Trek, there's a lot of it, which I never thought I would see again. Uh, I just wish it was a little bit more, mm, well, a bit more Star Trek. But I won't get into that. Let's, for this moment, let's just say, if you like new Star Trek, there's new Star Trek. Strange New Worlds is coming. The animated series Prodigy is coming. There's a lot of new Star Trek coming down the pike. Star Wars. A lot of Star Wars coming. A lot of Star Wars Hot Toys figures, which I'm all there for. <laughs> Jupiter's Legacy is starting in, what, a couple of May 1st? Who would have thought that? The, the Millerverse is actually happening, as, and that's the first series. Uh, we, we've got Doom Patrol. It's just amazing the time that we're living in. And as fans, yeah, we can bitch and moan and complain, but there's never been a better time to be an imagination connoisseur. There's so many different things that are coming down the pike to float your boat. So, now, we have this idea of restore the Snyder-verse. Everyone's saying now that with Zack Snyder's Justice League being satisfying, and I thought it was satisfying, I, I quite enjoyed it, very much actually. Can't wait to get that steelbook from the UK, thank you Emma Bannon, uh, the Excalibur-esque steelbook. So anyway, now there's a lot of calls for restoring the Snyder-verse, which on one hand sort of perplexes me and it sort of <clears throat> perplexes me because the Snyderverse has never gone away Zack Snyder cast Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman there's been two Wonder Woman films Jason Momoa's Aquaman his Aquaman film which I really liked a lot uh, uh Hell's a Pop and Fantasy Adventure my god there was things in there I couldn't believe kudos to James Wan made a billion dollars a Flash movie is in production with Ezra Miller as The Flash, cast by Zack Snyder, that brings back both Ben Affleck and Michael Keaton in one movie. And they're like loosely adapting the Flashpoint comic series and later, which was done as an animated film, Flashpoint Paradox. So the Snyder verse is definitely continuing. Um, 
if in a way you could say that even Shazam, which had a cameo appearance of Zack Snyder's Superman, albeit Henry Cavill might not have been in the suit, but it was still Zack Snyder's Superman. So the Snyder verse is continuing on, but I know, I know what everyone means. They want Zack Snyder to come back and finish his story. <clears throat> well, to be honest, I'd like that too. You know, I would like to see the uh, assault uh, or or the world being protected by the Justice League against Darkseid and the entire, well, fourth world. I mean, does that mean Big Barda and Mr. Miracle and High Father and Orion and uh, the Black Racer show up? You know how much I love the Black Racer. So I would love to see that happen. But like everything, is it financially viable? Now, there's been a lot of talk to that end. Was the Snyder Cut successful? Was the $70 million that they dropped into the Snyder Cut worth it for HBO Max and Warner Brothers, Warner Media? Was it worth it? Now, if we go by um, conventional wisdom, a movie needs to make three, but in this case, four times what they spent on it in order to make it wind up in the black, profitable. And in this case, they did market the heck out of it, so it did have marketing costs. This probably wouldn't have cost so much, but let's just let's just let's just err on the side of caution and say, okay, did HBO Max and did Warner Media get what would that be? Two hundred and eighty million dollars worth of bang for their buck out of the Snyder Cut. Two hundred and eighty million. Did they get that? Well, uh, just today, of course, uh, HBO Max, Warner Media weighed in with with some figures, and there's all there's wildly divergent reporting on the case of whether whether the Snyder Cut um, brought in the kind of money. And now I want to start by reading an article from Forbes. Ben, uh, Scott Mendelson, a man I both love and hate, but I appreciate his industry perspective. Scott Mendelson wrote this article uh, back on March 29th at 4.35 in the afternoon. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Is Zack Snyder's Justice League a hit for HBO Max? Well, it's complicated, says his article. The only win that matters for Zack Snyder's Justice League is that it exists. Bloomberg is reporting that HBO Max had the biggest jump in video streaming last week, mostly thanks to the debut of Zack Snyder's much-discussed four-hour cut of Justice League. The AT&T streaming platform recording an 8.9 jump in folks launching the mobile app. As always, that's not necessarily new subscribers, as plenty of folks who already had access to the Warner Media service due to existing HBO subscriptions or AT&T wireless service have and had yet to activate it. Moreover, we can make the same statement about the 1.48 million new downloads for the HBO Max app, a jump of 64% from the prior week. 
Moreover, we now have word from Samba TV that the film nabbed around 2.2 million views in the first full week, which at $9.37 a pop would be around 70 million opening week gross. I'm um, pardon me, would be around 20.7 million dollar opening week gross. Wonder Woman 84 earned around 3 million viewers equal to around 28.1 million in theaters in its first full week back in December. Now Samba TV only measures smart TV viewership with specific opted-in automatic content recognition. Still, we're not talking tens of millions or hundreds of millions of viewers. Again, for all the talk about streaming being the future, we're often dealing with viewership, especially outside of Netflix, that would be miserable for almost any other distribution method. However, all things being relative, is that good or bad? Like almost everything in the streaming era, it's complicated. However, bending over backward, to be fair, let's presume that all 1.48 million new downloads were also new paying subscribers. At $14.99 a pop, that's a monthly haul of around $22.2 million for a film that cost AT&T an extra $70 million to complete. Will all of these newbies keep their subscriptions over the next 12 months? That's certainly what everyone hopes, as WB releases geek-friendly movies like Godzilla vs. Kong, Mortal Kombat, Space Jam, A New Legacy, The Suicide Squad, Dune, and The Matrix 4 between now and Christmas. If so, then best-case scenario is that Zack Snyder's Justice League brings or contributes to around $266 million in annual revenue. That is close, my friends close to the 280 million I said by using standard industry uh, measures, metrics, four times the production budget. Now, there are a billion caveats to all, a bazillion caveats to all of this. First, folks can download and sign up for HBO Max via mobile devices, computers, and HDTVs. Moreover, we cannot presume that every single newbie would otherwise have not signed up for HBO Max, if not for Justice League. Maybe they wanted to binge the not-too-late show with Elmo. Nor can we guarantee that everyone else that showed up will stick around. Granted, it's presumably a very small, angry minority, but the folks now harassing AT&T and Warner Brothers over not restoring the Snyderverse, i.e. releasing a director's cut of David Ayer's Suicide Squad and greenlighting two more Snyder-helmed or at least Snyder-inspired Justice League movies and threatening to cancel subscriptions and boycott Warner Brothers content are not helping their cause nor the overall reputation of the fan base. They represent an if-you-give-a-mouse-a-cookie lesson in negotiating with a very complicated and arguably entitled fan base. While it was shorter and more mainstream, Patty Jenkins' Gal Gadot Chris Pine superhero sequel was also concurrently available in theaters. Justice League also nabbed, so says Samba TV, a lot less post-debut views, around 400,000 versus 800,000. I'm less concerned with the much larger jump in subscriptions for the Christmas release, as I imagine there was plenty of demographic overlap for the DC film's flicks. Moreover, once you've got someone to sign up for Wonder Woman 84, they aren't a new, uh, they aren't a new subscriber for Godzilla vs. Kong or Justice League. That's also why I was less concerned about a less new Disney Plus subscribers for Mulan than for Hamilton. At some point, retention is as important as recruitment which is why Warner Brothers didn't just pick a few theatrical movies to throw in theaters and on HBO Max. And yes, that AT&T made the call in December of last year to throw every 2021 theatrical release onto the streaming platform automatically made the Snyder Cut of Justice League much less of an event. Plenty of folks who might have subscribed just for the Snyder Cut instead did so for Wonder Woman 84, Mortal Kombat, The Suicide Squad, and or Godzilla vs. Kong. It went from the main HBO Max event of early 2021 to an also-ran. It went from a god amongst insects to a god among other gods. 
This was always less about massive viewership than months of free media attention for the Warner streaming platform. The Snyder fandom was always a vocal and passionate minority, but online passion for the likes of Dread, Kick-Ass, and Scott Pilgrim vs. the World didn't translate into box office earnings. Sometimes the fans get a win, as we saw with CBS granting a second season to Jericho or NBC renewing Timeless. However, more often than not, mistaking online discourse, social media, tends for general audience interest or consensus is exactly the lesson Disney learned with the rise of Skywalker. Unless you're someone who just can't live without a director's cut of Suicide Squad or a Zack Snyder directed or at least supervised Justice League 2 and 3, the very existence of Zack Snyder's Justice League is the victory. It exists, it's pretty good, and both audiences and critics seem to be enjoying it. And they are, and I was one of them. Moreover, it's clear improvements over the theatrical cut in terms of visual polish, action set pieces, and expanded screen time for Ray Fisher's Cyborg offers a lesson in how not to react to a disappointing franchise film. It's an arguable I-told-you-so moment for the fans who really ought to take the well-earned win. Still, it's another example of how the so-called streaming revolution still lags behind old-school distribution. Now, here's the thing. My take is the real the real uh, place we should look is Godzilla vs. Kong, which had a simultaneous release on HBO Max, and it is doing quite well in theaters. Might it might it have made more in theaters if it didn't have a day and date debut on HBO Max with theatrical? I don't know if that's true, but the fact that it was able to make over four hundred million dollars worldwide is pretty damn good. Now, what you have to remember is HBO Max is only in the United States. It is not around the world. So the fact that HBO Max is adding as many subscribers as it's adding is pretty damn good. And I would say, were those a result of Zack Snyder's Justice League? Maybe not all, but it was certainly a contributing factor. I think Warner Brothers, Warner Media, and HBO Max's overall strategy of doing this day and date thing has been interesting. But also, I think HBO has always been the Tiffany standard of, I think, uh, non network episodic series. Now, sure, we have things that have been big, like The Crown, of course. The Boys is great. The limited series that, that Scott Frank did, Godless and The Queen's Gambit, all great. And then a lot of the shows we have, I, I love BBC's Bodyguard, for instance. But for a long period of time, I mean, take J.K. Simmons all the way back to Oz, Schillinger. Uh, HBO has always done some great programming. They've all been, they've always been sort of the Tiffany standard of that kind of thing. So it only stands to reason. The new Kate Winslet series is supposed to be outstanding. I have yet to see it, but I hear it's great. So it, it stands to reason that HBO Max, which I still think should not have been called HBO, uh, is doing pretty damn good. But the real question is, should we restore the Snyderverse, which I maintain it never went away. We're still seeing the Snyderverse getting made. I think when people say restore the Snyderverse, what they mean is they want to see Zack Snyder make Justice League 2 and 3. Uh, is that a smart move? I don't really know. But what it comes down to is, of course, cash. Now, today... There was an interesting article about this very thing, about HBO Max and Warner Media, 
and it's being covered in a wildly different fashion. There's there's uh, three articles. There was an article in Deadline today. HBO and HBO Max add 2.7 million subscribers in quarter one. AT&T CEO John Stanky declines to offer revised streaming metrics. That doesn't sound like totally great. Then CNBC reports this as HBO Max adds 2.7 million domestic subscribers ahead of global launch. And now Variety, which I want to share with you. The Variety article says HBO Max gains 3 million subscribers in quarter one. AT&T beats Wall Street forecasts. So I'm going to read you the Variety article because it's the most positive article about this. Here we go. Todd Spangler wrote this. It dropped at uh, 3.54 a.m. this morning. And it's up. this is an updated version. HBO Max continued on its growth curve in the first three months of 2021, powered in part by big-budget films like Godzilla vs. Kong and Zack Snyder's Justice League that streamed onto the service during the quarter. HBO Max gained about 3 million total subscribers sequentially, AT&T said, a number the company should be pleased with after concerns HBO Max might have trouble retaining subs after a big lift from Wonder Woman 84 in December. Last month, Warner Brothers said Godzilla vs. Kong had the biggest viewing audience than any other film or show on HBO Max since its May of 2020 launch, although it didn't provide actual numbers. As of the end of March, HBO Max combined had 44.2 million domestic customers, up 2.7 million from 41.5 million at the end of 2020. So, since then, yes, 2.7 million customers. Now, if you think about that, HBO Max costs 15 bucks a month. Now, let's just assume for a moment. Let's just assume. Let me uh, figure this one out. Let's just assume that all the people that signed up for HBO Max at 15 bucks a pop uh, stay for the year, right? So, and I understand that a lot of people, um, they get free services. But let's just, just do the numbers. Just 15 bucks, right, times... Two point, let's see, two, seven, hang on. What did I say? 15 bucks time, clear, 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 clear. 15 bucks time, I, I'm, I'm trying to use a calculator. It's been so long. Uh, times two, seven, hmm, 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 hmm. Uh, you know what that equals? That equals a month. 2.7 million times $15 is 40 million Five hundred thousand dollars a month. Let's time that times that times twelve, and that equals four hundred and eighty-six million dollars a year. That's only the two point seven million they've added in first quarter. Two hundred or four hundred and eighty-six million dollars. That's who they've added in the last three months. Two point seven million subscribers. That's domestically. That's not even worldwide. I would say, you know, everyone's comparing and contrasting. Well, they're not they're not up past 200 million Netflix subscribers or even Disney Plus. No. No. But Disney Plus and Netflix are worldwide. And everyone's talking about Netflix, oh, their stock price is down 10% because they Look, Netflix, like I said, I think I said this yesterday. There's only so many people on the damn planet. 
that are watching TV and all this. I mean, it's it's almost like these people expect that one day, 7 billion people, all 7 billion people on the earth are going to have these streaming services. Well, I would say for all HBO Max, that $486 million based on the subscribers over the last three months, nothing to sneeze at. But the question is, Actually, let me finish. Uh, let me finish reading this this article. As of the end of March, HBO Max, HBO combined had forty four point two million domestic customers, up two point seven million um, at the end of twenty twenty. Losses on the legacy HBO side were offset by HBO Max's retail and wholesale growth. HBO Max continued to deliver strong subscriber and revenue growth in advance of our international and AVOD launches planned for June. AT and T CEO John Stanky said. What's it like having the last name Stanky? This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. What if you could have a career? where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Uh, for your whole life. Put a little stanky on it. Uh, said in announcing the results, he said HBO Max usage is well over two hours daily per subscriber, higher than our engineered expectations when we launched the product, and we'll take that goodness. First of all, the man's last name is Stanky, and second of all, he said we'll take that goodness. John Stanky, I love you. Just being you. Just saying. Overall, AT&T beat Wall Street financial expectations, reporting $43.9 billion in revenue and adjusted earnings per share of $0.86, cents, with the telco touting the strongest first quarter for wireless postpaid phone net ads in more than a decade. So AT&T is doing all right. AT&T got to eat, and AT&T can stuff its face. Analysts had expected AT&T to post quarter one revenues of $42.7 billion and adjusted earnings of $0.78 cents per share. So, brah, you made an extra billion. You beat those revenue earnings or projections. Warner Media revenue for the first quarter of 2021 was $8.5 billion, up 9.8 versus the year-ago quarter, driven by higher subscription, advertising, and content revenue during during a pandemic that reflected the partial recovery from prior year impacts of COVID-19. The company said ad revenue was up 18.5% to 1.75 billion with the return of sports, including the NCAA March madness. And then this article, if you want to read the rest of it, it goes on and on and on and talks about revenue. A lot of numbers could be boring. Never know, but I'll put it in the live chat and you tell me what you think. You can read the article. Point is, does that mean they could bring back the Snyderverse? My thoughts are probably not. And, and given best case scenario, everyone's making cash to make two more Justice League movies. And if they did it, I would suggest Matrix 2 and 3 style. 
you shoot it as one movie, like they were gonna in the first place, like they should have done Dune, whatever. I don't know why some people are so risk averse to doing this thing. Just do it, do it. Uh, if they were gonna do it, they would shoot it all at once. It would be extraordinarily expensive. It would be extraordinarily expensive, and I, I would I, I would just guesstimate that if they were to shoot, if Zack Snyder were to come back and and if he did, let's just assume he did, and you're gonna make Justice League two and three, I would say talking out of my ass, having not seen a script, don't know anything other than the fact that War with Darkseid, War with Apocalypse, going to be a big fucking movie. I would assume it's a $500 million budget. And of that, it's going to be theatrically released. And I think with a lot of people seeing it, probably a lot more interest. Let's just assume that we're going to make a billion dollars off each movie. You know, let's err on the side of, I mean, I know... People are saying, well, Rob, you know, Justice League only grossed uh, 600-something million back in 2017. I know, but I think with the Snyder Cut, bringing these characters back now, I think there'd be more interest, assuming the movies were good, and you'd end up making, let's just say, a billion each. So, so, because you'd have to. You'd have to, actually, in order to make them profitable, uh, each movie would would have to make a billion dollars. So, two billion total, which justifies... The five hundred million expense, it's four times the budget. So okay, theatrically maybe that would justify it. Then it goes to HBO, uh, HBO Max again. People see it, physical media, whatever. But that's that's a tall order. I mean, you're asking a- any studio to greenlight two movies at two hundred fifty million apiece, making them at the same time, thinking that okay, they're each going to make a billion dollars based on the track record, it's it's an enormous, enormous, enormous bet. And the problem is, the Snyder Cut is something that literally they were able to, because the movie was already finished, they'd already spent the, what, $350 million or something to make it? So, ultimately, I guess it's all gravy. I mean, you can't necessarily say everybody's, everyone... Um, uh, they they subscribe to HBO Max just to watch the Snyder Cut. I'm sure they could figure out. Maybe some people did, but it's the entire it's the entire slate. I mean, we, whether it's the little things, whether it's Mortal Kombat that what doesn't Mortal Kombat drop today tonight? You got Mortal Kombat. You've got King Kong versus Godzilla. Like they said, you got Matrix Four. You've got Conjuring. A lot of good stuff is coming to HBO Max, but. I just don't think, even at the the best possible outcome of all of this, I think doing, restoring the Snyderverse, letting Zack Snyder do his movies, unless you could bring the price down, like if you could do both movies for, say, $300 million, as opposed to $500 million, in which case, you know, there's $800 million less that you'd have to earn, maybe it would be viable. Maybe. Um, But that's still a tall order. Does everybody want to do that? I don't know. Would I like to see it? Personally, I would. I would like to see it. But based on the numbers, it's not like... And remember, I, I look at these HBO numbers as good numbers. They did some really good business considering they're not they're not around the world. I mean, imagine if they were worldwide, I think people are going to eat up HBO Max 
around the planet because of what is available. You're going to have the entire Warner Brothers library and all this. There's a lot of goodness on HBO Max. I mean, when that when they get into India, I mean, there's a lot of subscribers that you're going to get all around the world. People are going to sign up, especially because they're making, if they keep with that strategy this year and they go with all these movies uh, day and date on HBO and theatrical, could be a big, big, big deal. So I think it's all very healthy. It's, everyone's just, I mean, people, it's got to be a slow build, people. You can't expect to win every horse race immediately. And I think HBO Max is going to do, it's like Sergio in Get Him to the Greek. Sergio's going to be fine. He has a lot of kookaroos. So he's going to be just fine. Uh, and uh, by the way, if you guys don't love Get Him to the Greek, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? You know, pet the walls. Uh, I think that um, it's a good thing. I would like to see the Snyderverse continue. I want to see Zack Snyder's two more Justice League movies. I still think it's on the outside realm of possibility simply because of the numbers. Nothing other than the economics. Um, it's tough. And also, to be fair, to support Zack Snyder as a filmmaker... I don't know why everybody isn't putting aside all talk of the Snyderverse and putting all of their eyes and all of their promotional efforts towards Zack Snyder's latest uh, latest thing, which is Army of the Dead, which I can't wait to see. Army of the Dead coming out uh, next month on Netflix. They've already guaranteed they're going to be a, a, an animated prequel series and I guess a sequel. It's either, I don't know, the a prequel animated series or and then they're doing a German prequel series or something a live action show so everybody should get behind Zack Snyder's latest effort because Netflix loves Zack Snyder and uh, we should show him the love there that's not to say we should not as fans support the Snyderverse if we want that but I would maintain also we are getting the Snyderverse the Ezra Miller Flash with Ben Affleck as Batman with Michael Keaton confirmed to come back as Batman I mean, if that isn't a great continuation of the Snyderverse, I don't know what is. But I would say again, ultimately, we got the Snyder Cut, and in grander fashion than I thought. Can't wait to get that steelbook. I think we as fans, we live in great times. I know it's never enough. It's never enough. But I would say this. I don't think, I think it's on the very outside realm of possibility that they would ever bring back. I don't even know if Zack Snyder would want to come back. Would Ray Fisher come back? Would they let Ray Fisher come back, even if Zack Snyder wanted him to? I think if they were going to make the Snyderverse movies, I think Ray Fisher would come back. I don't think anybody would really care. Just like, just Ray, we want to bring you back. Just cool it on social media, buddy. Take the win. But you never know. I think, look, we live in great times. And even if we don't get a restoration of the Snyderverse, I would say we should take the win, man. Because if you get a win, my dad used to say, you've won, don't buy it back. Don't buy back your win, Bobby. Don't buy back the win. And um, I don't know if we as fans are capable of doing that, but I would say the same thing. Don't buy back that win. Because we got a great win with the Snyder Cut. And um, you know what? We got great we got a great win with the entire Infinity saga too. So why are you trying to bring why are you trying to bring Tony Stark back from the grave? I don't know. Not to harsh your mellow, you know, not to yuck your yum, but I just think we as fans, we should look forward to all the amazing 
and the crazy diverse, when I say crazy diverse, I mean the different subject matter. We're getting a foundation series. Oh my God, we're going to Trantor, people. I want to go to Trantor my whole life. I'm now I'm going to get to see it. I'm going to meet Harry Selden. Psycho history is going to be on the lips of kids. They're going to know what it is. They're going to talk about psycho history. Can you imagine if I was 10 years old and was trying to explain psycho history to my parents over the dinner table? They would do what they did to me when I was going to the second grade. They shut me up because I would come home from school and want to talk about every single thing I learned. My mom hated that shit. She was like, shut up. But anyway, that's an aside. Uh, I just thought we live in great times, people. The world is a fine place and worth dying for. That's what Morgan Freeman said at uh, the end of seven. Actually, that was what Ernest Hemingway said. Let's see what you guys have to say. I mean, you always are so loquacious. And I want to find out how loquacious you are. Um, Well, let's see what this is. Gavin Dunleavy. Gavin Dunleavy. I don't know if I recognize this name. Gavin Dunleavy. Hey there, Rob. First time letter writer here. Well, Gavin, that must be why I don't recognize your name. I just want to start by saying that I absolutely love your channel and everything. By the way, I don't write these letters myself. I swear to God. I just wanted to start by saying that I absolutely love your channel and everything you do to spread love and positivity through the post-geek singularity. Well, thank you, Gavin. It has been a breath of fresh air to hear opinions from all over the spectrum on your show. And it has helped me thoroughly in lots of ways, whether it be expanding my mind and seeing different perspectives or just helping me laugh on a bad day. I don't want to dive too deep into my own personal problems or make any of the viewers depressed, but I will say this. I have had a very hard year with the loss of my mother and a very lonely one as she has been my only parent since birth. I'm very sorry to hear that. However, during this year, I found your channel, Rob. I would even get excited to hear your take on Star Wars, get recommendations for films and TV, or even get super jealous of all your kick-ass hot toys on Fully Articulated. I say this because I finally felt like I find a, found a place where I belong. Again, that's about the nicest thing you could say to me. A community of people who love each other, respecting differing opinions, and offer perspective instead of persistence. But most of all, you, Rob, I found you, and I felt as if you were the father I never had. Oh, no. Uh, well, thank you. <laughs> thank you. I, I don't know how much of a disciplinarian I would have been if you were young and you were my son and you came to me and said, Dad, can we go to Toys R Us? I would have said, yes. Yes, son, we can. Let's go. Um, <laughs> so thank you. But most of all, Rob, I found you and, and felt as if you were the father I never had. Someone who could offer incredible advice like these same things I liked and most importantly, someone who is an imagination connoisseur with a big heart. Well, that that I am. I wanted to thank you for everything you've done before I get to the real reason I'm writing this letter today. After watching more episodes of Observations than I can count, I started to note some of your recurring recommendations. Ooh. I heard you mention Legend of the Galactic Heroes a few times, and I plan on watching it once I get the time. Just know, don't watch the remake. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. 
Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Watch the original OVA series. It's 110 episodes. I recently developed a love for anime, so I'm excited to see what all the hype is about since I've heard nothing but great things about it. However... There is one show that you have highly recommended lately, Rob, and that is the Amazon series Them. At first, I have to be honest. I assume this show is going to be a very long white guilt trip after hearing the premise. Yet, since I was hearing you recommend it so much, I finally decided to give it a shot. I figured that since I absolutely love Get Out and Us by Jordan Peele, maybe this would be an interesting show to try out and boy rob were you right about everything (laughs) the overwhelming sense of dread the music and how it distorts to convey two totally different moves moods the acting the ambient the ambiance the horror it's all there and it is all cranked to the max i'm only on episode three and all i have to say is i never thought eating pie would make me so uneasy that was some messed up shit It was. I have to say I'm pleasantly surprised by this show so far. The cinematography and editing choices really make this feel like a film rather than a series. The discussions on race are there and very prevalent, but it feels real. It feels authentic and important to see. I know that will most likely be the majority of people's concerns, whether it feels forced or not, but I believe it is being handled incredibly well so far. But like I said, I'm only on episode three, and I have much more to experience. I plan on keeping you updated on my thoughts once I reach the dreaded episode 5. Bruh, Gavin, dude. I have no clue what to expect, and I can't even imagine. I am excited nonetheless. Just, if you're in a bad mood that day, maybe wait until you're in a better mood to watch episode 5. I am excited nonetheless. Once again, I'd like to thank you, Rob, for being here to put a smile on my face and the faces of countless others. You help more than you know. Cheers to you, Rob. Cheers to the post-geek singularity, and cheers to many more episodes of Rob Observations. Well, Gavin, I want to thank you for that. What a nice letter. Uh, I very much appreciate you writing in. And you know what? I love when people uh, um, watch things that I've recommended uh, that they like. I love I love hearing that because you know I don't I'm not being paid for my recommendations, and and really, I I've always I guess from the time I started working in a video store back when I was 13, I always took it personally if somebody didn't like something I recommended. And maybe that's because um, uh, I had a traumatic experience with my own parents. I told them to go see the, the Coen Brothers' debut movie, Blood Simple. And you know, when I was a kid, I'd recommend things. And usually, I, I had a great track record. I'd say between 85 and 95%. I mean, I hit. I was really good. I was like the uh, Jimmy the Greek 
of being able to recommend things to people. There's an old reference. I was like the, the Jimmy the Greek of being able to recommend titles people would like. But I recommended once to my parents, and they didn't go see movies with their friends very often, like if at all. And I told them to go see Blood Simple, the Coen Brothers debut movie. After it was over, my parents came home, and they were not happy. And they said that their friends that they went with, and I, I don't remember who they were, they said that I must have had something against them. Otherwise, why would I possibly send them to go see Blood Simple? It was bad. Um, it's not good. So I was I was I was kind of bummed out. Um, so what can you do? Anyway, thank you very much for the very nice letter. I very much appreciate that. On the other hand, we have Hassan Chavez here. Hassan says, hello, Bobby B. I'm a big fan of Hollywood since I was a kid. I always thought American films were pretty enjoyable and accessible for everybody, hence their success across the planet. Sure, the casts were mostly white, but it didn't matter to me. I believe Hassan lives in Mexico, if I remember correctly. Um, sure, the casts were mostly white, but it didn't matter to me because I've always been more interested in the stories, the characters, the direction, etc., with The Falcon and The Winter Soldier, Disney invited foreign, foreign audiences to chime in and be part of the American collective existential identity crisis. As one does, I expressed my not-so-favorable opinion online. So in one of your Twitter threads, someone told me that I was ridiculous and that I will never understand the dilemmas of a black character. You liked that person's response, by the way, and I thought, okay, it's true because in real life I don't coexist with black people. But I was talking about the character. And if I'm not allowed to have an opinion about characters from modern Hollywood films, then what's the point of watching? They want to diversify their content mostly for the American people, but the rest of the world is consuming their products too. Quite frankly, there wouldn't be billion-dollar movies without us. Are they open to diverse reactions and opinions? Thanks and take care, Hassan Chavez. Actually, Hassan, I thought that was letter was going to be worse than it was. Look, I'm with you. I, I think that, that our entertainment that Hollywood is making uh, is to be consumed the world over. And I think one of the things I was having a conversation with Mike Bodden about this this morning, um, our, our, uh, the American experience of things like race or all of our, all of our national identity really doesn't extend very far beyond our borders. We only tend to think about us, and I think that's kind of interesting. Like I, I don't, I, 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 I don't see, say, Black Lives Matter protesters talking about tribal violence in Africa, even though it's black on black violence in a country where, you know, the Tutsi and the Hutu slaughtered one another. Now, nor necessarily would I expect them to, but we, I think, have a very America-centric sort of worldview here. And I think we tend to forget that, oh, well, what country makes the most movies every year? India does. When was the last time you watched a Bollywood movie? And yet their film industry is one of the biggest in the world. And so uh, I agree with you. I think that Americans are pretty myopic when it comes to those kinds of things. We, uh, our, our minds are always focused here. And yet we're part of a global community and our entertainment is consumed around the world you know one of the things they've always tried to make star trek happen everywhere but it doesn't 
doesn't really travel that well, doesn't travel very far. They tried with the J.J. Abrams Star Trek movies to make Star Trek travel further. But let's face it, and as a lifelong Star Trek lover, Star Trek is basically the America, the utopian ideal of America goes out and conquers the stars. That's what Star Trek is perceived as in some areas around the world. Now, I know this, yet I still love Star Trek for what it is. It's the American idealized version of what we could be. But it's, make no mistake, as much as it's inclusive, it's certainly the American ideal of inclusion. And that's something we have to remember. When someone reads Robin DiAngelo's book, White Fragility, and she says that everyone's born racist, um, it's, it's she's writing from, from the perspective of, of American racism. Um, and I, I get that, you know, but, but I think, um, you, um, you are absolutely correct, Hassan, that we have a tendency to forget the issues of race in this country are different than issues of race in other countries. And, um, as someone who, Never really understood racism until I went to South Korea. Not that I felt that I was being, uh, well, what would you call it? That I was being discriminated against. I wasn't ever discriminated against. I love South Korea. I love Seoul. What a cool city. And I love the people I met. But I was definitely looked at <laughs> by everywhere I went. Any store I went into, any restaurant I went to, and into, they're always looking at me. You know, first they were thinking of my American military. Then they were thinking, oh, the Olympics are going on. But still, I, I, they're, you know, it's not like uh, South Korea is one of the most racially diverse places I've ever been in my life. So, you know, we have to remember the world's a big place. And there's lots of different kinds of people in it with different perspectives, depending on where they're from and where they live and how they grew up. So we tend to forget that, I think. Um, yeah. Uh, Cathal, Cathal, I, I hope I, uh, don't get this wrong. Cathal from Ireland. If this is like a Gaelic name or something like that, I'm screwing it up. Cathal, Cathal, I'm not sure. Uh, what a cool name though. Cathal from Ireland. Rob and the Post Geek Singularity. Greetings from Ireland. Rob, you often use your mother as a sort of measurement of how popular or interesting a movie or show is to the layperson. I can say that I tend to use my own friend group for the same purposes. I suggest to them that a new show is coming that I know is based on something good and that I believe they'll like it. And most of them can take my word at face value and are often willing to give the thing a watch. The Witcher, The Boys, and Watchmen are but a few shows I have suggested to my friends that they would have not watched otherwise, and I'm pleased to say that they've enjoyed them all. Amazon's Invincible is the latest show that I've been championing for several months before its release, and now I've got my friends to watch it, and they're hooked, which is great because I, too, am loving the show, and I hope it does well for Amazon. However, Rob, the whole thing has got me thinking about animation as a medium and if the public can get on board with this. Despite decades of adult-oriented animation, I still feel like the general public instinctively relates animation to children's programming which is very much, I think, an American thing. I think that in recent times, comedies from South Park to Archer, anime is becoming more popular in the mainstream public, as well as shows like Castlevania, and of course, Rob, Dota Dragon's Blood, renewed for book two, thanks for that mention, <clears throat> have helped to somewhat shift this idea of relating animation to kids. 
I think that the world needs only one show on the popularity level of The Walking Dead, Breaking Bad, or Game of Thrones to truly break this idea and open the floor to a lot more possibilities. There are a lot of properties and ideas that struggle to get made because they will cost a studio hundreds of millions of dollars to produce in live action, but with animation, as we have seen with Invincible, you're only limited by what you can draw and animate, and so budget can be allowed can be allocated to other areas of production. In Invincible's case, the casting is amazing and seems to be where a lot of the budget must have been spent. One comic that I've always wanted to see brought to the screen was Bill Williams' Fables. I fell in love with the world when I played Telltale's, Telltale, Telltale's Wolf Among Us, and then I bought and still own every trade paperback of the series. I understand it was attempted to be made into a TV show before the idea fell through, and a ripoff called Once Upon a Time was later created instead. A live-action Fables production would surely have required a huge budget, but could an animated Fables series have been the answer now that we've seen success with Invincible? I would say yes, for HBO Max. I think this is a great idea. Could Invincible bring with it a new dawn of animated shows or indeed films based on some of our favorite properties that once seemed too risky to pump a lot of money into? So, Rob, I ask you, am I crazy? Well, aren't we all? Uh, or is my knowledge of the industry not there? Is animation the way forward for shows and films based on big, sprawling stories that would simply cost too much for a studio to take a risk on in live action? Regardless, if I'm talking complete nonsense or not, Rob, what is a show or movie you would like to see based on a property that you love? Thank you for taking the time to read this letter, Rob. I hope to write again soon. Well, uh, look at this. He, I, he or she gives me the, the, it's pronounced Katal, Katal, C-A-W-T-A-L, Katal. I like that. Okay. Katal. I hope I got that right. I wish I'd known that from the beginning, but thank you again for writing in a great letter. Uh, look, uh, adult animation is exploding and it is, it is because, you know, we all grew up with animation and I think especially people that grew up playing, I, I think one of the things video games after all uh now now they're getting more and more sophisticated but even video games are basically animated even when you're using motion capture it's not quite photorealistic yet so over the last 30 years with the popularity of comics and anime and and uh, video games i think now the adult audience has already been uh um uh conditioned to look at animation in a different way but i think you're absolutely right a lot of the time, it's still considered a children's medium, but lately with shows like Castlevania and now Dota and now Invincible, uh, I think that's going to change. And I think... Um lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chum. Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere 
and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You're, you're absolutely right. The, the possibilities of animation, I mean, it used to, well, we're going to make it, obviously, it, it lends itself well to humor. And even shows that whether it's South Park, whether it's The Simpsons, whether it's King of the Hill, whatever it is, Adults have been conditioned to enjoy animation, at least from the comedy standpoint. So there's no reason why they can't dip their feet into a dramatic series. Obviously, Castlevania and Invincible are science fiction, fantasy, horror. <clears throat> I think it could be great. And now Sex, Death, and Robots. Uh, is it Love, Death, and Robots or Sex, Death, and Robots? Uh, the second season looks terrific. And I think we're going to see more and more of that happening. And um, I'm all for that. I think I think that they should. And I think it really comes down to the kind of animation. I'd really like to see more um, more avant-garde animation. And we've also seen movies that are pretty great. Something like, I, I love the triplets of Belleville, for instance. Or Miyazaki's, like, Howl's Moving Castle and Princess Mononoke. Those were more adult um, uh, kinds of things. Uh, and look, I'm a huge fan of Japanese animation. So what Satoshi Kon did, whether it's paranoia agent or perfect blue or something like that i i think that there's there's a lot more adult oriented animation out there than than we 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 i think we're going to see to answer your question i think we're going to see a lot more of it and i'm i'm really looking forward to it but as of the, the questions that you you've asked me well i think obviously dota is a great stab i didn't write dota i was just an animatic editor on it but I think that the scripts that were written for that show are incredibly sophisticated. Now, obviously, anime is the style, but if you had gone with a more realistic, quote-unquote realistic, more naturalistic style, more of a meaning, it still would have worked. I think the scripts are great. And the writing in Dota is, I thought, pretty sophisticated. It's very much for adults. And um, I... I think we're going to get more and more of it. Dota has done, Dota's Dragon's Blood has done quite well. In terms of me, I mean, I would love to see some sprawling space opera stuff uh, turned into adult animation. I think stuff like that would be very, very cool. And, you know, the Japanese have been doing it for a long time. But I would love to see, um, you know, take a book like uh, Peter Hamilton's books, like some sprawling space opera something huge and turn that into animation i mean i'd love to see that um weathering with you you know that shows the japanese movies that like this are are wonderful examples of what could be done in the west if we wanted to but yeah i would like to see some real epic science fiction adapted like even like i i love dan simmons hyperion cantos the first book hyperion and fall of hyperion that was one book, but it was cut in half. I'd love to see that adapted, you know? I mean, obviously, people like to see things. My preference would be to see things in live action, but if not, it'd be pretty dope to see some epic science fiction um, turned into animation. I think that would be fantastic. Um, S. Beam writes in. S. Beam. S. Beam says, A Trek Through the Stars Part 2. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship NCC-1701 Enterprise. 
It's three-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Let me start by saying I was watching this Star Trek in the remastered version. Also, going through these seasons gave me a better understanding of the foundations of Star Trek. This letter is about seasons two and three because I didn't realize I was into season three when I was watching it. I was that enthralled. I just kept hitting next episode. Now, at the beginning of season two, we get to see a little bit more of Spock, which is fine because he's my favorite character right now. But it seems like they're especially at the beginning of this season that they try and bring out Spock's human side more than in his Vulcan side, especially McCoy which was fine because it's cool to see both sides of Spock, and it was interesting to see how the writers handle him struggling to reconcile his Vulcan and human halves. Season 2 also sees the return of Harry Mudd, which was pretty cool and, a ver and very nice to revisit that character. It was fun finally seeing the Tribble episode that's so popular and recognized, and of course, more time travel. Season 3 starts trying to get Spock's brain back. A fight at the OK Corral, getting trapped between dimensions and ending with Kirk, Having a freaky Friday. Overall, RMB, although I thoroughly enjoyed this Star Trek, it's not my Star Trek. I grew up I grew up watching The Next Generation, and I feel like finally going back and seeing Kirk and Spock and McCoy uh, was not only to do it to enjoy all of Star Trek, but as a necessity to know where everything has come from to figure out everything that came before. Or I currently started watching because I never got the chance to sit down and watch it for myself when I was younger. So I couldn't soak it in properly like I should have but that's not how it was introduced to me when I was younger my father started me on Star Trek the next generation probably because he thought I wouldn't sit through the original series just like my own kids won't sit through the original series with me but I'm super glad that I finally did go back and watch the original Star Trek series I would honestly like to go through every episode of the show with you but obviously I cannot it's a real shame this series did not get more seasons than it did because I really would like to have seen it continued, and I'm sure I'm not alone in that. Well, hopefully this letter didn't trigger any silent screen stares like it did last time. <laughs> to end, my favorite character is still Spock from both seasons two and three. My favorite episode from season two is Wolf in the Fold. Wow! Was cool to see a Scotty-centric episode. And my favorite episode from season three is Day of the Dove, which introduced Michael Ansara as Kang. Uh, great episode. What I took from this show is that although the future may be full of technological and medical advances, it can still be flawed by our need of greed and power, that we will always be stunted by our shortcomings if we keep repeating them. Our hate and discrimination of pretty much anything we disagree with will continue to be our downfall. We must always be willing to adapt and embrace the positive walks of life to make the lives who follow us prosper. I don't know, maybe I'm just tired and rambling. Have an awesome day, Rob, and to all who hear or read this, and now I'm on to the movies, unless I need to watch the animated series, live long and prosper. S-Beam, by God, yes you do need to watch the animated series. Many of the writers from the original series were there, and most of the principal cast comes back and voices the animation. Now understand... The animation was done Saturday morning. It's very limited animation. And if you binge Star Trek, the animated series, you will get tired of the animation very quickly because it's obviously reused and done on the cheap. But, but watch it anyway because there's some great episodes. P. 
P.S. I have a painting commission, which is how I fund Project RMB. S-Beam is making uh, Hot Toys-type figures of both myself and John Campia. Uh, I have a painting commission of a six-scale head sculpt of Leonard Nimoy as Spock going up on my channel real soon. I hope you can check it out and let me know what you think. Thanks. Well, S-Beam, thank you for writing in. I always love to hear about people's journeys through the Star Trek experience, especially the original series, especially people that are watching it now who haven't seen it, and they go, they're going back 55 years to see what it was all about. I do love that, so thank you for writing in. Uh, this next letter comes from Stuart Wynn Stanley. <clears throat> Hi, Rob. I read an interview the other day with Joe Manginello, <laughs> in which he stated he'd been offered a small role in a Marvel property but wanted to hold out for something more substantial. I've been geeking out for years to anybody who would listen, saying this guy, this guy needs to be cast as Hercules. I agree that would be perfect casting. The Marvel Universe Hercules. I first became aware of him in True Blood. I didn't realize that at the time he was Flash Thompson in Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. To me, this is perfect casting, but I'm not too familiar with the character of Hercules in Marvel Comics, and I'm not too familiar with his body of work as an actor. Do you think he would be a good fit for the role, and do you think he has the acting chops to be the lead in the movie? Ben Affleck thought so. Apologies if this is something that you've already covered. I've been a bit busy lately and haven't been able to catch all your shows. Keep up the good work. Cheers, Stu. Well, I, you know, I think maybe he could. I, I think he's got a, very, a lot of charisma. I don't know if he could be the lead in the movie, but I think playing Hercules in maybe as a secondary role, they could introduce him in an Avengers movie or another another Captain America movie or whatever they're going to do. They could absolutely inter introduce that character. If Russell Crowe is indeed playing Zeus in Thor, Love, and Thunder, if they're moving away from just the Norse gods to the pantheon of Olympians, why not bring Hercules into the mix? I'm all for that. I think that's a great idea. He's perfect casting, especially with his beard. I'm totally interested in that. So, absolutely. Um, bring it on. I'm, I'm, I'm very much interested in seeing that happen. I think it's a great casting idea. Uh, would you would you believe Omar? Omar94 wrote a letter. He did. Hi, Rob. Moderators in the Post-Geek Singularity for a while now. You've talked about how entertainment creators are now putting their agendas first over stories and characters. And this got me thinking about entertainment's history, and it has me wondering if any of these creators have ever heard of Rod Serling, best known for creating The Twilight Zone. Serling was known as the angry young man in Hollywood due to the fact he would fight with TV executives and sponsors over issues like censorship and racism. There are a few occasions he was pretty blunt about his social views in his stories, such as two of his teleplays, Noon on Doomsday and A Town Has Turned to Dust, which, as a little piece of fun trivia, was directed by John Frankenheimer and had William Shatner as one of the characters. He also had an episode of The Twilight Zone called I Am the Night, Color Me Black. All three of these were very upfront about social issues of racism, hatred, and prejudice. However, most of the time, Serling would often incorporate social issues into his stories. He put his stories and characters first by veiling his views with science fiction and fantasy elements. The Twilight Zone episode The Obsolete Man is essentially about censorship, rewriting history, and cancel culture, 
all veiled in science fiction, as it is set in the futuristic dystopian society. Another episode called He's Alive, which is which, as a fun fact, starred Dennis Hopper, is about prejudice and hatred as it tells the story about neo-Nazis, but it's done with a fantasy element as Adolf Hitler shows up. Indeed. And He's Alive, if memory serves, is one of the fourth season hour-long episodes of The Twilight Zone. It's episodes like that which which uh, have me question modern-day creators how they approach their stories, because if Serling, who is known for being progressive and tolerant, I'm not using the word woke, since I find that to be a strange term, clearly knew what he was doing back in the 50s and 60s, where he mostly put his stories and characters first over his agenda, I'm not sure what it is which causes modern-day creators to not be able to do the same thing. This is what got me thinking about how you've brought up many times how creators are now putting their agendas first. Thanks, and live long and prosper. Omar, good letter. Thank you so much. I'm a huge Rod Serling acolyte and Twilight Zone fan, and even the things, even Night Gallery, although that wasn't as good as Twilight Zone. Um, look, I agree with you. To me, the Twilight Zone is the end-all, be-all. Like, it's so funny to watch, like, I'm glad CBS canceled the Jordan Peele-hosted modern Twilight Zone because it was, I'm sorry, with all due respect, let's call it a disappointment. I mean, that series was so uh, banging you over the head with its agenda. And it, it, it's unfortunate because I, th- I look at Twilight Zone, and that's not to say there's a lot of didactic episodes of the Twilight Zone. Don't get me wrong, because there are a lot but when you're watching Twilight Zone, the very best episodes, they told you great stories. It was apparent, yes, this episode's about censorship and all that, but when you're watching The Obsolete Man, which is great, by the way, um, very theatrical, I love the way it's shot, uh, and I love the ending of that episode, it, it's, it's, you know, you get the point. I, I, I feel like today that... <laughs> There's something going on where where people, I guess, people want the world to change immediately. Uh, it's it's very bizarre. It's it's bizarre to me that college students go after their faculty if they feel that they're. I don't I don't understand. Like everybody everybody thinks that they know that they know the answers to these problems, and I guess by being an activist or crusading, it makes people feel better. It's a way to get some kind of satisfaction if you feel like you're standing up for the what what's right. But I, I, I find it to be a bizarre way of, of, of going. Like, that means, you mean you know better than me? Like, as a viewer that's a perusing Star Trek and has perused Star Trek all of my life, suddenly the creators of Star Trek seem to know what's better for me than I know what's, than I, I know myself. It's weird. I, I find it bizarre. You know, great stories, universal stories, have all the great truths of humanity baked into them. That, for instance, ultimately say things like, oh, I don't know, racism is bad. Especially because racism changes depending on where you're standing on the planet Earth. So what's racist in America might be different if you're in the middle of, say, oh, I don't know, in Mongolia. <laughs> so things are different. And I think universal stories should be universal and understood by all. And uh, sometimes they're not. But what can you do? Uh, a good, a good letter. Thank you so much for uh, writing in, Omar. But you do every day, so I want to thank you for your continued enthusiasm. 
Uh, let's see where we are at with you, lovely. You fine folks. Uh, there's been a lot of people firing in. Uh, oh, boy. Oh, boy. Let's see what you guys are saying. Jason S. writes in. Um, Jason, Jason, Jason. Jason S. He's always baiting me. He tasks me and I shall have him. Jason S. writes in. Uh, Jason S. says, A black girl tried murdering another black girl with a knife. A cop was called and showed up and took out the attempted murderer when she failed to get on the ground and charged at the other black girl with her knife. The White House essentially called the officer a racist and a murderer. This is a cancer on society. Everyone talks about white privilege, but I call this black privilege when attempted murderers are labeled the hero because they are black and the officer who saves them is branded a racist. Jason, why you feel the need to constantly... First of all, I appreciate you supporting the channel. But why... What does this have to do with entertainment? Like, this channel is 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 not necessarily geared toward politics. But I'm going to say this. A 14-year-old girl is dead. She's dead. Doesn't matter what color she is. Didn't particularly matter that, that uh, it was two black girls fighting or whatever happened. Um, and yes... One woman was lunging at another woman. One girl was lunging at another girl with a knife. Does that mean, the question is, does that mean the cop needs to pull out a gun and use deadly force and kill a 14, is it, I think, 14-year-old? Kill the girl. She wasn't paying attention to him. And obviously, rules of engagement are if someone has a knife, they're not supposed to do anything in close quarters. Why not run and tackle the girl? Why pull out a gun? Maybe he couldn't reach her in time, but I mean, ultimately, a woman is dead. A fourteen, a girl is dead, and the question is, <clears throat> in my mind, once a person dies, the question that you have to ask yourself is, well, why did this occur? Why did deadly force have to be used? And you know, people calling anyone else, I understand a cop sees somebody using deadly force against another human being. Well. Does that justify pulling out a gun and shooting? I would think that deadly force would be a last resort here. And it's not like, you know, you're seeing a woman with military prowess wielding a knife against another person. Um, he could have run or I don't I don't know who did it, but and there's body cam footage. It's first of all, it's horrible all around. It's horrible that a girl lost her life. That's what we should first be concerned about. Forget race, forget any issue. A young girl who is just beginning her teenage years is dead. It doesn't matter what color she is. She's dead. Why? Was that, was that something that needed to happen? You know, cops are asked a lot. They're asked to do a lot. And in a situation like this, I would say, look, clearly it's not exactly, you're not dealing with people. They're not holding guns. So if they're not holding guns, I know you're trying to save a life. I get it. You can say, well, I had to use deadly force against a girl wielding a knife. Was that the way to go? Look, you're never, you're never going to get, the fact is, I don't think deadly force should have been used in this situation. I just don't. If a cop was wearing a vest, you run and you tackle that girl. You do something. And then you know what? Somebody would have screamed bloody murder that some cop tackled the girl. But at least the girl would have been alive. The gun was pulled. It happened very, very quickly. Um, not a lot of tries at containing the situation. I understand. At the heat of the moment, you see somebody brandishing a knife against somebody else. What are you going to do? Not act? But I would say deadly force isn't the way to go. Now a girl's dead. 
I think that that the it's not black privilege, it's not white privilege, it's no privilege at all. It's the fact that our police, which for the most part do a pretty damn good job, they do a pretty damn good job. All things being equal, what happens when you wind up in a situation where one woman is brandishing another a, a, a knife at another one? What do you do? You know. I don't think it's an issue of race here. It's an issue of acting w- with deadly force. And um, it's unfortunate that people are, are turning this into a racial issue. Uh, I think we should talk about policing. We should talk about parenting too. Why are two girls being able to, why is one girl being able to go after another girl with a knife? Why? I mean, wh- who's failed whom here? Uh, there are questions I don't know the answers to and... <clears throat> not my area of expertise, but you did send in, you were supporting the channel, but you know, I, I can't, I'm not going to make this into some kind of a debate like that because I don't believe in it. Robert Conrad sends in a tip and says, hi Rob, I'm thinking of running into the speed force to go back in time so I can get episode five of them out of my head. Bruh. I know. The mom better get brutal revenge for what happened. I draw the line at Chult. Well, I'm not going to read that. Oh, well, um, I don't want to spoil it. So if you can see, don't look at the screen. That's not horror entertainment. See, I, I find that interesting. So when when do we draw the line? Like certain things, like it's it's horror. And I, I mean, it's like like we can't... This is an unflinching... Uh, that By the way, episode five is absolutely horrific. It's one of the most horrific hours of television maybe ever made. But it's not like these things. By the way, don't ever watch a Serbian film, just so you know. Um, uh, it, it it was horrific, and, and yeah, do you draw the line? Yeah, but then again, it's so funny to me when we think about the kinds of movies. So so depending on how violence, are we okay with violence against human beings or any human like adults? Is that okay? The the say like in Hostel that you know, people getting tortured. I mean, it's, it's, it's not, it was hardcore. It was hard, hard, hardcore. And you're right. I mean, I think a lot of people wasn't entertaining. I don't know, but it was certainly horrific and it certainly drove the point home. But yeah. Um, I, I look, I, I think it really depends on, on, on your taste and what you're willing to, to handle. But I think, uh, it's an un, I would call it unflinching. A uh, willow sends in a tip and says, while I don't think there's a big enough movement to have it released, I'm honestly kind of curious now to see David Ayer's version of suicide squad. How about you? I, I think David Ayer is a great filmmaker. You know, I've really liked a lot of his work. I would love, I hated the suicide squad. We saw I, I thought it was near incomprehensible. I, I really gobbledygook. It was easily the worst edited big budget film I think I've ever seen come out of a studio. It was a travesty. I can't believe, honestly, I can't believe what that movie tried to pass off. It was terrible. I absolutely, I hated it so very much. Hated, hated, hated it. So I would love to see an air cut. I'm, I'm with you, Will, Willow. It'd be great. T.T. Uh, Mork. It's me, Terje, the lovable Norwegian. That's, you're very you're very supportive of the channel. Thank you so much, sir. We're old friends, but thank you all for all your support. Uh, the lovable Norwegian. I want to know what you think of Manhunter. 
Um, Manhunter, you mean Michael Mann's Manhunter? The the first adaptation of Thomas Harris's Red Dragon, of which, by the way, I have a first edition of right over there in hardcover. I love Manhunter. I love it. Uh, I love Gil Grissom playing that character. I, um, I, I love it. I, I'm a huge fan of Manhunter. I love everything about Manhunter. Yes, it's very 80s. I love Brian Cox as, as Hannibal Lecter. You know, I, I love uh, the actor who plays Francis Dollarhide, who's amazing, Tom Noonan. Amazing. And um, even our favorite uh, even our favorite character from Avatar, our villain that we love to hate, is Freddie Lowndes. Uh, he's great, too. And and I, I think the movie um, Manhunter is, is terrific. I love it. Love it, love it, love it. Um, Bratman sends in a tip and says, I want the Snyderverse to continue now or else I'll go on a hunger strike. Sign Bratman. Don't do that. I mean, how long would you go on a hunger strike? Even if they started pre-production now, they might not be shooting for 16 weeks. You'd be dead already. I guess you'd get what you want, though, so you wouldn't go on a hunger strike, which would be a bummer. Um. Ooh, NJR1984 sends in a super chat and says, Hi, Rob. Sorry if you already talked about it. Do you like the Iron Man comic book hot toy they unveiled? I think they look great. Well, I have to say, our, my beloved Justin Kane from Justin's Collection did a, uh, a, a an initial thoughts video I watched this morning. Um, I really like it. I He's not a big fan. I really like it. I, I'd have to see what the final version of it looks like. I think it's kind of... I don't think it needs these clear. So for those of you who don't know, our beloved Hot Toys, um, this Iron Man figure, which they do a great job. Hot Toys' Iron Man's figures are amazing. They have this sort of outer, clear stuff that goes over the armor. It's a comic book-inspired figure. It's part, excuse me, part of a new line of figures. I think they look, I think it looks great. Like, I I pre-ordered it. I I want it. It looks good to me. I think it looks great, too. I, I, I just want to know, if, are they going to do a whole series of, these kinds of figures, because with sideshows figures like their X Men figure line, you have these comic lines that can all go together. Uh, Tony Trombetta sends in a super chat and says, "Rob, the problem with the Restore the Snyder movement is since they got the cut, they believe that they hold all the cards, and they do not understand that general audiences is much larger than a fan movement." Tony, couldn't agree with you more. Uh, we fans are a very small minority, a very small segment of the audience. And what they need is something that appeals to everybody. And I, I agree. I mean, I I think, um, you know, on one hand, I think about Andy Dufresne. And it took him what? Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Five years, or was it, I forget, is it five years or ten years in Shawshank Redemption? Uh, he's writing letters to the Board of Prisons, and he wanted a donation for them to make the Shawshank Library. It took five or ten years or something of him writing letters, and they finally sent him money and a uh, donation of sundries and books and all that, and then he said, well, I'm going to double my efforts. I think that in this case, with the amount of money involved, we should take the Snyder Cut to be the epic win everybody was looking for and wanting to restore the Snyderverse. Well, the Snyderverse kind of hasn't gone away. We're getting movies with, I mean, Aquaman, Wonder Woman, Batman. The only person who's not getting another movie so far is Cyborg. So I agree. I I, I think you're correct. I really do. Random Thought sends in a tip and says, Do you think Reed Richards and Plastic Man and Elongated Man got laid a lot? Not only could they adjust length and girth, Elongated Man had a vibrating nose. Pretty handy. Your thoughts? Well, yeah, I'll tell you something, though. Um, you still need to be a cunning linguist. That's all I'm going to say. You know, just because it's... I, I've heard I've heard the stories... Just because you have the equipment doesn't know you doesn't mean you know how to wield it. I mean, I think obviously uh, being able to fill up your partner's cavities, whatever those cavities might be, just the way they want them filled, can be. I, I would assume is pleasurable. But also, you got to know, you know, if your if your if your technique is like a pile driver or uh, something like that, maybe your 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 partner might be satisfied from one standpoint, but another standpoint. Mm, and look, uh, maybe maybe you know you're not good at foreplay, so you gotta be gotta you gotta approach it holistically. I think so. It is definitely pretty handy. I mean, I think we've all wished one day that, well, at least someone like myself, we could fill up our partners the want the way they want to be filled up. That's why you have to fall back, and <laughs> it's it's you hope skill carries you through. Insomatic <laughs> uh, sends in a super chat. Uh, thank you, Insomatic. Uh, I appreciate that very much. It looks like you sent in two. I hope they didn't double charge you. Uh, Justin Jorgensen says, Honestly, I thought when the article said fans harassed and bullied was pretty disrespectful. Obviously, I know some Snyder Cut fans are toxic, but seriously, every fandom has toxic fans. Snyder's my favorite director, and every single fandom has plenty of toxic fans. I guarantee that 99% of the Hashtag restore, restore the Snyderverse tweets were completely harmless. Simply saying, hashtag restore the Snyderverse. It's hard being a fan when people are constantly telling you how toxic you are when it's really very few. Justin, I agree with you, but I would say that some of the more vicious online uh, invectives that were thrown my way were Snyder Cut fans. And I'm a Zack Snyder fan, but I no, I agree with you. I agree with you. Magic K sends in a super chat and says, or Zach can do two Justice League films animation style with $250 million and everybody's happy. Well, I don't think you'd want to spend that much money, but maybe animated films are fun and also expensive. Uh, it might be good, but I mean, I think after seeing the Snyder cut, I mean, I would love to see, I would love to see the Justice League, the live action Justice League on camera again. I would. Uh, Nick Parrish says, what's up, Rob? So it's funny. 
Yesterday, I asked you if you thought a Dark Avengers show was coming, and today I saw a tweet online by Grace Randolph, who's known as a credible movie pundit, that a source has confirmed to her that Dark Avengers is on the way. Maybe. I mean, after Secret Invasion, Dark Avengers, I guess so. I mean, I think they'd need to establish those characters first. I would think a Young Avengers would happen more than before Dark Avengers, but you never know. Um, she also says Thunderbolts is coming. I believe that, like you predicted, Rob. I'm interested in both shows because Thunderbolts will probably have Hawkeye lead so Jeremy Renner can finally shine and Wyatt Russell will lead Dark Avengers, making his pops Kurt proud. I agree. That could definitely happen. Um, I think that why not? I mean, they need to go that way. Uh, Sean's World sent in a super chat. Well, thank you, Sean's World. Uh, it's your world and we only live in it. Uh, Insomatic sent in another super chat. Again, I hope I hope you're not getting double charged or you're just supporting the channel, in which case, thank you. Uh, Nick Parrish goes on to say, Oh, Rob, I meant to ask, have you ever seen the show Harrow? Uh, if not, consider this show, this show recommendation. I know you like procedural crime shows, and I think this is a good one. It stars Ian Graffud, Mr. Fantastic. Is it, I, you know, it's, is it Ian? Ian? Ion? You know, I can never pronounce that name. Mr. Fantastic as a crime-solving coroner. Nuff said. I That sounds good to me. I wonder why that's why Sister Harrow is called that. Um, Alex Acera sends in a super chat and says, They won't. Too petty. Zack Snyder does berserk. Nuff said. Well, that'd be cool. I'd want that. That'd be dope. I'd be, a, I'd be all a fan of that. Uh, Calvin Bowles says, At the drive-in... We saw Wonder Woman with Tom and Jerry. My question is, when they figure out box office worldwide, what film gets the credit when a drive-in shows a double bill? <laughs> well, Calvin, I, I, that's a good question. I would imagine it would usually be the first film on that double bill um, because the, the second film is, is programmed with the film. So I would imagine whatever the first film is. Good question, though. Uh, Calvin goes on to say, Braxton, his six-year-old son, asked, why is it hard to find other kids who like Star Trek? Most kids think when he talks about it, they think he's talking about Star Wars. What can he do to get his friends into Star Trek? Well, Calvin, I think uh, Braxton needs to have like a Star Trek party. Maybe it's like some kind of a play date. Invite them over and and tell them that you're give them some spiel that you're going to watch this particular show from a long time ago. Make it an event. Show them arena or show them the Corbomite maneuver. That's what I use to ensorcel the kids. Don't show them trouble with tribbles because it's not funny yet. They got to know the characters. But when I want kids to watch Star Trek, I always start with Arena, which is of course the lizard, you know, the Gorn, or or Corbomite maneuver because it's got Baylock and the giant spherical First Federation ship, and uh, it's good stuff. That's what I usually show kids to see if they'll get into it. Um. <coughs> Uh, John sends in a super chat and says, I binged and finished them last night at your suggestion. I really enjoyed it. Thanks, Rob. Uh, what did you think of episode five, John? <laughs> Yeesh. Stubble says, it's fascinating how little people are talking about the Oscars. I realize that the ceremony is on Monday and there's barely any movement on it on YouTube. Nobody's seen the movies. I mean, some people have, but for the most part, you know, these movies are th these independent movies. I don't think there's any excitement. There's a lot of good performances and good movies out there. 
but you know, like maybe the trial of Chicago Seven. But people aren't even equating that as Oscar film. I think, I, yeah, I'm looking at these Oscar movies, and I'm like, they, uh, even I, this is the least excited I've ever been. There's, there's virtually, I think, no pop culture imprint of the Oscar films this year. I mean, they're out there, but people aren't thinking of them in terms of Oscar movies. It's very weird. I agree with you. It's, it's. There's almost no talk about it at all. Uh, no one's writing about it, barely. It's almost like an afterthought. Alexander Wilson's here. Hello, Alexander. What's interesting about the HBO Max um, net subscriber numbers for quarter one is that it was a decrease from the quarter four net subscriber numbers. Multiple shots. Or, uh, they almost had 4 million net subscribers during that quarter. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I think it, it really depends. I think with HBO, especially uh, HBO Max or HBO, I think people are used to subscribing and then not subscribing if their shows are done with. And I think that's kind of how they people play it. But again, I think maybe because more people are home during the holidays, college students come home. Um, but I don't, I don't really know. That's, that's an interesting question. Uh, but I don't have an answer for you. Uh, Stubb McShave, or Alexander goes on to say, the notorious RMB, I need your input on Mortal Kombat Annihilation. How is the, was, how is the final product that bad? They reuse multiple shots throughout the movie that was so lazy. What happened with that movie? Uh, you know what, Alexander? I just don't know much about Mortal Kombat Annihilation. I, I am not a fan of those films. I am going to, I have to say, after watching the first seven minutes of this new Mortal Kombat, I'm, I'm, I'm in, all in. I can't wait to see it, but I never like, um, I, I, I didn't like, I didn't like the first one and the second one. I, I barely remember anything about it. So, I'm not the guy. <coughs> I apologize. Um, St uh, Stubble McShave is saying, uh, HBO is trying to build interest in Game of Thrones and anticipa anticipation anticipation for new shows. I've seen a bunch of new, well-produced featurettes where they try and point out all the positive aspects of the show. I haven't seen any momentum on the interest of the audience, though. I honestly think that Game of Thrones... I do believe that the eighth season of Game of Thrones did more damage to that brand than they even anticipate. Look, people are going to wait and see, and even then they're going to be like, should I should I invest in this? It better look amazing, because I think that they really have killed, uh, they've killed the interest in the show, unfortunately. Uh, Mr. Fantastic's Sock says, Yoen Griffiths. Ah, Yoen Griffiths is the proper way to say Yoan Griffiths. I didn't know that. Yoan Griffiths. All right. Not Griffud. Not I own Griffud. Yoan Griffiths. That's good to know. Yoan. Kind of like uh, Sersha, as in inertia. Sersha. <laughs> I, I love that name, Sersha. Uh, just like I love Siobhan. If I had a daughter, I would probably name her Siobhan. I always love that name. Anyway. Uh, Yoan Griffiths. All right. Well, thank you for that, Mr. Fantastic Sock. Fernando Barrero says, Hi, RMB. You're rubbing off on me. The last few weeks, I got myself a Panasonic region-free player. I started building a mini library of physical media and this morning received the Star Trek 50th anniversary box set. Any thoughts on it? Oh, it's great. I love the 50th anniversary box set. I love the box. I love everything about it. I love the fact the animated series is in it and the director's cut of Star Trek 2 is in there. On uh, I think it's great. Love it, love it, love it. 
and uh, good for you. What are you going to buy? Uh, what what are you going to get from Europe um, that you can't get? What what region B or C discs are you going to get? Robert Conrad's back after I thought it, you would never come back, Robert. So I'm glad you came back because I would hate it if you left pissed at me that you ended up watching them and having a bad experience. Hi, Rob. On a much lighter note, I'm not a gamer, but just bought a VR headset and started playing Star Trek Bridge Crew and Vader Immortal. Uh, those those are both great. Have you tried VR or played these games? As a fan of both franchises and a non-gamer, I'm having so much fun. Totally. Elizabeth brought, bought this exercise machine. It's a skiing exercise machine, like an exercise, and it's, it's VR. So you're doing VR skiing. I'm like, oh my God. That is, I can't, I just put it on today for the first time. I cannot wait. Uh, I'm going to do this thing until my hips fall off. Cannot wait. I love VR. It's so cool. Love it. Uh, Alexander Wilson says, ooh, I finally saw Moneyball with Brad Pitt, and it was really good. I love Moneyball. I think it's so good. I love the scouting and behind-the-scenes portions of the movie. Me too. Scenes between Pitt and Philip Seymour Hoffman were great. I loved it. I thought uh, the baseball scenes were bad. Yeah, you know what? I, 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 yes, the baseball scenes were not as let's call it not as effective. I loved all the scouting. That was so fantastic. I, I loved, I, I loved the 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 chemistry Brad Pitt had. I, I I thought it was it was great. And learning about the game of baseball and how how it all worked, I I really liked that movie a lot. You know, it's funny. I recently rewatched it, and I I thought it was I thought it was really good. You know, it was it. Um, uh, it was really good. Justin Jorgensen says, Army of the Dead looks effing metal. So hype from a man, Zach. Also, regarding my previous tip, I didn't mean any disrespect toward you. No, I not at all. Also, what are your thoughts on Watchmen? I love the director's cut, and I think it's near perfect. Thoughts? The Watchmen book, Alan Moore's graphic novel, is one of my favorite things in the world. I probably read it 30 times. And... I do love the fact that Zack Snyder clearly loved the comic and he lovingly recreated. I, I I think of the Watchmen movie as a loving recreation of the comic book, but a less a less effective adaption of the comic book. I love seeing certain scenes brought to life, like obviously the opening scene with the comedian. I mean, it's right out of the comic book. I do think some of the choices are a bit heavy-handed. I don't mind the change they made to the plot at the end regarding Dr. Manhattan. I think that was actually pretty great. I thought that really worked. But um, I I think it's a very... It's a slavish recreation of the comic, and it's not enough of an adaptation for me. And I think... I'll tell you what I mean by that. So there are things about the, the movie... That worked in the. There are things about the comic that work, like Richard Nixon being president multiple terms, like he never had to resign, and they changed the the rules so he could serve four terms. I think he's four terms in the comic. Now that worked in 1985 and 86 because the memory of Watergate still loomed large over our political landscape. But watching it in in the the in the comic, it. I mean, in the movie, in the, it worked in the comic, but in the movie, I think it was a little bit lost on audiences, the whole Richard Nixon angle, the Cold War angle, 
and and I understand all that. And also, the biggest problem I had with Watchmen is the Watchmen comic is a commentary on the comic book medium itself and those who read comic books. I mean, if you look at issue five, it's like the same forward as it is backward in terms of panel design and things like that. So there's the Watchmen was a meta commentary on all of this. And I feel that, for instance, when you see the actual Minutemen characters, when some of them go nuts or they're gunned down, the one character, Mothman, I think, is gunned down in the revolving in the revolving door. The fact that his costume was right out of a 50s or 40s comic, it seemed a little odd to me that that it was kind of a mishmash of comic book references when it, it, it the comic is so much about the medium of comics that a lot of what was translated kind of was odd to me the choices were odd where it needed more of of an adaptation as opposed to a slavish recreation but you know i like i i don't love watchmen but i like it a lot and clearly i have to respect Zack snyder's love of the material but there's a lot of great stuff in Watchmen, and uh, I do like a lot of it. The thing that I really dislike the most about the movie is I love Matthew Good. If you've ever seen a movie like A Single Man that Tom Ford directed, I love Matthew Good. I thought the take on Ozymandias in the movie was wrong. I, I thought Ozymandias should have been, you know, there was one time talk of Tom Cruise playing Ozymandias as this, hey, like this big brash uh, like a, a very intelligent, um, a very smart, very smart, very charismatic leader kind of a guy that you know had that big smile and made you feel like you were the only person in the room. I thought when you meet Matthew Good's Ozymandias, he was too quiet and introspective, Dan. Yeah, I thought that was just a different take. It was not the take that I, if I had directed that movie, I would have, I would have gone a, in a very different direction with Ozymandias. Uh, but that was the only thing that I would say um, about Watchmen. But I like it. Um, Aeon sends in a super chat. Hi, Rob. Do you have a best year at the movies? I think 1994 was pretty great. Best year, you know. I always go back to, I don't know if it's best year, but I always go back to, I have to say, the summer of 1982. I've talked about it a lot on this channel because in the space of two months, you had Conan the Barbarian, The Road Warrior, Poltergeist, Star Trek II, Blade Runner, Tron, uh, John Carpenter's The Thing, all in May and, and June. You had The Thing and Blade Runner opening on the same day. Star Trek II and Poltergeist open on the same day. Uh, it was crazy, but, and then 82, you know, it's funny. I've never really thought about it, but that, that's always the year that sticks in my mind. Um, but let's see what other movies came out in 1982. Uh, okay. Let's, let's look at this list. Uh, oh yeah. Of, of course I forgot ET, the extraterrestrial came out in that same two month period of time. So here's some of the other movies of 82. Fast Times at Ridgemont High, First Blood, An Officer and a Gentleman, 48 Hours, Rocky Three, Gandhi, The Beastmaster, Tootsie, The King of Comedy, Pink Floyd, The Wall, The Secret of Nim, Creepshow, The Dark Crystal, The Verdict, The Year of Living Dangerously, Diner, Fanny and Alexander, ooh, Class of 84, 
Friday the 13th, Part 3, The World According to Garp, Fitzcarraldo, Cat People, Summer Lovers, Night Shift, The Last American Virgin, My Favorite Year, The Man from Snowy River, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, Firefox, the Clint Eastwood movie Firefox, Tenebrae, The Sword and the Sorcerer, Victor Victoria, Basket Case, oh my god, uh, Death Trap, Liquid Sky, oh my, Corel, The New York Ripper, Extro, Francis, Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid, let's see, um, Eating Raul, this is a pretty damn good year, um, Smithereens, that's a movie nobody knows that I really like, there's a lot of great horror and sci-fi that came out, Ladies and Gentlemen, The Fabulous Stains, another movie nobody remembers, but I love, um, wow, this is all 82, I'm looking at this, um, Come Back to the Five and Dine, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean, which is good, Cannery Row, a movie I like. I don't know if anyone else likes. Um, man, there is a lot of sci-fi horror that came out in 82. Britannia Hospital, Lindsay Anderson. That's a good one. Um, I don't know. It's a pretty good. You Shoot the Moon, an Alan Parker movie I like. Um, wow, this is there's some great stuff that came out this year. But anyway, I, I don't know. 82 comes to mind. I don't know if that's the best year for movies, but it's a pretty good year. Pretty good year. Uh, Alexander Wilson says, according to uh, Parrot Analytics, Game of Thrones was the most in-demand show in the world in 2020. I don't think the fan base was killed off at all. Well, that could be true. Um, that could be true. I just think that, you know, if it's the most in-demand show across, maybe a lot of people are catching up with it. But um, uh, that could be good. I, I just... I don't feel it. I don't. I don't know. But we'll see. Um, we'll see. Uh, John says regarding episode five of them, I was kind of prepared for the worst from what you said. It was hard to sit through, but really important to the story later on. I really got a lot of the shining feels in direction and didn't find any part unnecessary. I kind of felt the same way. I didn't. I didn't feel it was unnecessary either. Um. It, but it, it look, man, it's rough. It was, it's rough, and I think by design, it was very rough. Um, but anyway, that is it, ladies and gentlemen, for Rob Observations episode number six hundred and seventy-three. I want to thank everybody for contributing to the channel. I very much appreciate support through super chats and tips. Thank you so much. And if you want to write me a letter, you can at the burnetwork.net website, free of charge. I'll read it on the air if it's good. Um, even if it's not good, it'll probably go on the website and uh, other people read it. No, send me good letters. You got a lot to live up to. My letter writers are probably the best letter writers on YouTube. I don't know. Does anybody else read letters on YouTube? I don't know. I, I Honestly, I, I honestly don't know. But I love you guys for writing letters. I want to thank my moderating staff, beginning with Mike Bodden and the Richard Justin Jorgensen, Justin Toner. Uh, who else is here? I thought I saw Louise X Sparrow was here. Uh, she is there. Hello, Louise. I love Louise. Um, Greg Smith is here. Hello, Greg Smith. Um, I think I got everybody. Not sure who else is here, but thank you all for being here. Uh, and I appreciate that. Alexander Wilson asks, is them trauma porn? Well, um, people do say that it is. Uh, obviously I, I covered it on a show. It is very traumatic. 
And the big question is, is the showrunner using the black experience, the trauma of the last 400 years of being black in, in this country, utilizing that as trauma porn? Uh, I don't think so. The show's a horror movie. It's a, I mean, it's a horror show. It is very horrific, and it does not flinch. I mean, it is one of the more horrific things I've th- seen in a while. But I get it. I understand. There's It touches on a lot of different things, not just race in America, PTSD. Uh, it, it, there's so many things that it touches on. It is not a nice show, but I thought it was a great show. And seldom have I seen modern horror deal with things in this in this way. I think it's an important show. And I think um, when you read about Little Marvin, the, the series creator, you know, what I found interesting about the show, it's a, a new black voice. What we're always talking about, getting people uh, hearing new points of view. And it was his first show that he created. And if you, I covered this show, I covered him, read an interview with him a couple of shows ago. I, I'm excited that we have a new creator out there who created something that is so effective and obviously made sure that it was damn good and that he was given out of the gate a two-season commitment. And apparently the next show is going to be, it's going to be an anthology series. Each year is going to be different. So I, it is, it's very traumatic. Is it porn? Uh, I don't know about that. Um, uh, Alex, Alex, uh, Sarah says, sorry to be a broken record, Robert, but Berserk is waiting to be adapted. What Zach can't do with DC, he only can with Kentaro Morera's, uh, uh, Mura? It's magnum opus. If you look at the art, Netflix should give it to him. Um, you know, that could be true. I, I, uh, but again, I don't. I don't know. I mean, I think yes, probably. I mean, that animation and uh, I mean the the character designs and all that stuff is bananas. Um, it's great, and I think that Berserk. I I haven't delved into a lot of it. I've read a little bit of it, and I I think it's great. I think it's so cool. The great mythology, the character design, like I said, is amazing, and he should do it. I'd love to see him do it in live action. You're saying live action? Absolutely. That's the way it should be done. I I totally agree with that. Um, but on that note, every person you meet has a story to tell that you have yet to hear. And all you have to do is listen. And with that, I would say to all of you, have a better day. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.